On this episode of Inside Boxing Live, we catch up with the one and only Corey Erdman. He was on the call for the heavyweight championship of the world where we saw Alexander Usyk defeat Anthony Joshua for the second time. So we'll break down that fight. We'll break down what's next for each guy. Are we going to see Usyk and Fury tangle? We'll talk about Anthony Joshua's strange rant after the fight. I'm also going to give you my top 10 at heavyweight right now and also a little bit of housekeeping a lot of fights have been announced a lot of fights are being rumored let's go let's talk boxing What's up, everybody? Welcome in to another edition of Inside Boxing Live presented by John Boy Media. I am your host, Dan Canobio. Excited to talk to you after what was a sensational heavyweight performance from Alexander Usyk. Did the damn thing. Took out Anthony Joshua. Again, a legendary finish for Usyk. Outlanding Joshua 79-29 to over the final three rounds. We'll talk to Corey Urban, who was on the call for DAZN. Uh, to try to get some clarity on Anthony Joshua's mindset, get some clarity on the heavyweight division right now, what makes Usyk so damn good, and if he can beat uh, Tyson Fury, because that's the that's the move right now. That's the fight. It's starting to get bigger and bigger. We're starting to see Tyson Fury uh, come out of retirement. If you thought he was retired, then you know you haven't been following the sport because the guy retires uh, every year of the week. But they're talking about money now. They're making it no secret that they are looking for the biggest amount of money for the first time in the history of the four-belt era. Uh, I hate even saying that because I'm not a big fan of the four-belt era. But we're going to have an undisputed champion. All four belts, undefeated fighters, Anthony, excuse me, Alexander Usyk and, and, and Tyson Fury. So they're being very clear. You know, Frank Warren has done a lot of interviews since that fight on Saturday saying we are going to the highest bidder. And lately in the sport, sports world, not just boxing, look at what's going on at Live Golf. The highest bidder is, is coming from Saudi Arabia. Uh, they wanted the Joshua versus Fury fight uh, before Deontay Wilder had that arbitrator come in last summer. They wanted that badly. They were willing to go to $150 million to get that done. Uh, this fight isn't as big. Usyk Fury isn't as big as Joshua versus um, uh, Fury, but it, it's still a four-belt unification. It's still a heavyweight championship of the world. So I fully expect this fight to go down somewhere in the Middle East with that type of site fee money. And as I talk about with Corey Ehrman, I do not care where the fight is as long as it's happening because the heavyweight division has been moving like a snail at a snail's pace. We, uh, it, It's taken almost a year for these two to fight again. Uh, you know what's going on with uh, Deontay Wilder uh, he hasn't been in the ring in, in a very long time and then you got guys like Joe Joyce and Joseph Parker who are going to get into the ring Andy Ruiz Luis Ortiz there are a lot of names that want to get back into title contention and we've had to wait to see what's going on with Tyson Fury and his retirement process or uh, a, a undisputed fight so as heavyweight boxing goes boxing goes I've you know everyone always has said that for the for the longest time so we'll talk to Curry Ehrman get his thoughts on uh, all of that some housekeeping news some headlines uh before we get into my top 10 at heavyweight did you see this i'm very excited about this dimitri bivol and zerto ramirez are set to fight in 
Saudi Arabia. They are throwing a crazy amount of money around right now. So if you're a boxer, if you're a promoter, you're going to take that money. Uh, it's November 5th. I love this fight because if you take a look at what's going on in light heavyweight, you know, Callum Smith had another knockout win on that Joshua card. He is now in the mix. Uh, Zerto Ramirez has been in the mix since he's moved up from 168. Obviously, Bivol just beat Canelo. And then you got Better Biev, who is one of the best boxers uh, today. Better Biev. Suffered an injury, and he's still going to fight Anthony Yard. He says he can do it by the end of the year. I hope so, because I think he's going to wipe out Anthony Yard. And I want to see better BF in there with some of these big names like Bivol, Zerto, uh, Callum Smith. Can you imagine Callum Smith versus better BF? Oof. Callum Smith is the dark horse in the division because he's so damn big. And this is the right weight for him. And he's got a great trainer and Buddy McGirt that seems like getting the, the best skills out of him. So 175 suddenly has went from a division where it was like, all right, we got better BF. Uh, you know, he's obviously really good, but no one really knows a lot about him. Uh, Dimitri Bivol was fighting in relative obscurity before he beat uh, uh, Canelo. Uh, everyone in boxing world knows Callum Smith. And then Zerto Ramirez has the golden boy behind him and is kind of rebranding himself. So suddenly 175 is fun. You know, 175 is is moving right now. So Bivol Zerto, November 5th. Uh, I'm curious what the zone is going to do here because I know that they have Zapata versus Jojo Diaz November 5th as well. That's over in L.A. So will they do like a double header? So that November 5th is going to be a busy day. There's a lot of busy days coming up in the boxing schedule, uh, especially in September. September 24th, we can add another fight to the schedule. Lee Wood will be defending his title against Mauricio Lara. Now, it was supposed to be Lee Wood and Leo Santa Cruz. But it looks like Leo Santa Cruz is taking a different route, and he wants to unify with Ray Vargas, who just beat Max Sayo. Love that fight, too. I really enjoy uh, the featherweight division. It is an untapped division. It's a division that doesn't get a, a lot of pub and a lot of press, but there are some really good fights. And Lee Wood, Mauricio Lara, is a fun, fan-friendly fight. Lara comes to take your head off, and Lee Wood has a lot of power uh, in that right hand. Just look at that fight he had with our boy Mick Conlon. He can't get out of a wave of right hand, Lee Wood, but he can fire back and he can uh, you know, land that knockout punch, especially late. So that's September 24th. Uh, the Android news that just came over the wire is a little <laughs> not surprising at all. He rejects the, the fight with Janabek. He gives up his 160-pound WBO strap. He's going up to 168 uh, to fight Zach Parker, a fight that uh, was ordered earlier this year, a fight that Andrade pulled out of with an injury, uh, a fight that Andrade took, uh, you know, 30 days. I think it was the allotted time for him to come up with a decision. It was either fight Janabek at 160 or fight Zach Parker uh, for an interim belt at 168 because we know Andrade wants Canelo. He wants to get up to 168. There's uh, probably a lot more options for him at 168 in terms of bigger fights. Uh, the guy's getting up there in age. One of the strangest careers, Demetrius Andre, especially of a world champion who has a lot of talent and is yet to lose. So he will not be fighting Janabek. Janabek is the new 160-pound champion. Middleweight's a freaking mess right now. It is a dumpster fire of a division. And uh, so Janabek is got top rank behind him. You know, you got shades of Golovkin. You know, you, you look at his Twitter. Is it really him tweeting? It's this, it, it's uh, pretty entertaining, but a fighter that probably will be avoided in Janabek because he doesn't bring much to the table financially, and he's damn good. So that's what's going on at 160 and 168 at the moment. And then October 15th, uh, we got Haney versus Cambosos too. They had a very quiet press conference to announce this fight. Complete 
opposite of what we saw for their first announcement for this fight where the boxing world was buzzing uh, to see Haney go in there and try to get all the belts from Cambosos. But you don't get Cambosos Haney 1 without getting Cambosos Haney 2. That's just the nature of the sport. It's a business. There are contracts in it. There are rematch clauses. There's a lot to be said about rematch clauses. They, for the most part, are, are pretty bad for the sport, but they also make fights happen. You know, Anthony Joshua was going to be a three-time world champion because of rematch clauses, not because he, you know, rebuilt his, uh, you know, record, like maybe like a George Foreman did, who was a multiple, uh, or a Vander Holyfield, who was a multiple-time world champion, you know, going through the, the circuit, you know, getting back into heavyweight contention. No, rematch clauses. That's why Anthony Joshua was able to fight for a world title three separate times in the last, what, four years? So I understand why some fans aren't that excited for Haney Cambosos too, especially how Haney just straight up destroyed him uh, in, in the first fight. Uh, but one thing about it, it's not pay-per-view. You're going to get this fight October 15th on regular ESPN, and from there you're going to see Haney fight Lomachenko. Lomachenko uh, is back, uh, top rank. Has him in there against Jermaine Ortiz, which is going to be on October 29th right here in Madison Square Garden. That's the move. Uh, Haney versus Cambosos is, will be a pay-per-view fight next spring uh, for all belts. For all the belts, that's a big one. So Devin Haney's doing big things at 23 years old. He's got to get through Cambosos again. I expect Cambosos to fight better. I don't see how he could fight any worse than he did uh, in, in the first fight. Maybe, who knows? It could be a fun fight uh, between the two. But I expect Haney's a huge favorite uh, in, in that one. All right, before we get to my top 10 at heavyweight, I got to tell you about DraftKings. We're back. College football is back. That means summer is over. It means fall is around the corner. It's time to enjoy the tradition, the fun, the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. To celebrate the best time of the year right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly. So you bet 5 bucks, you get $200 right in your uh, DraftKings bank account. Sounds pretty good to me. If that's not enough action, we got same-game parlays. Yes, I, did. I came up short in my same-game parlay last week. I had Usyk by knockout. Didn't, didn't hit. But I also had Navarrete under 10.5 rounds. That did hit. So if you're looking at my bets every single week for, for DraftKings, you can maybe take one and go that way. Parlays are hard. Parlays are really hard, but they're a lot of fun. So go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code JOMBOY. Bet just $5 on college football. You get $200 in free bets instantly. That's code JOHNBOY. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook Minimum Age. And eligibility restrictions apply. Let's go. All right. Since heavyweight division is what's in the news right now, I want to give you my top 10 at heavyweight right now. Here we go. I'm starting things off at number 10 with my guy, Frank Sanchez. 20-0. Methodical. Highly accurate power puncher, lands 42% over his last three fights, only throws 38 punches around. There's this uh, label that he's gotten as a boring heavyweight. He's a Cuban heavyweight. Most Cuban heavyweights and most Cuban boxers are very slick. They don't throw a lot of punches. That's the case with Frank Sanchez, but he does have a lot of power, and he has that big win over F.A. Jogba. Signed with the PBC. Switched trainers recently. He is part of the mass exodus that you saw with Eddie Reynoso. Uh, he's one of the fighters to leave in addition to Ryan Garcia to, over to Joe Goosen. Joe Goosen is known as a offensive fighter, uh, offensive trainer, I should say. So Frank Sanchez, maybe he can find a little more, throw more than 38 punches around. Uh, he's rumored to be fighting on the Wilder Hellenius card 
That's on October 15th. Frank Sanchez coming in at number 10. Number 9, Jean Zale. We saw him fight Philip Hergovic on the Joshua card, and his stock went through the roof despite losing. Uh, this is a guy who lands close to 50% of his of power shots. He landed close to 50 against Hergovic. Has a battering ram of a left hand. A very, very loud and powerful left hand. He's six foot six, southpaw. Uh, he will give anyone fits in there. Has a questionable gas tank. You, you saw that fight uh, a few uh, months back where he had kidney failure. He had massive dehydration. Even in the fight against Hergovic, there were moments where you're like, you thought he was going to pass out. Uh, that's just what it is. The guy's like 260, obviously six foot six, but still has that right, uh, excuse me, that left hand that could take anybody out. Has a lot of flaws, but makes him a very exciting fighter or a very exciting heavyweight could give any heavyweight a tough fight. And what he has going for him is the entire country of China behind him. There was a lot of talk about Joshua fighting uh, Zhang Zhele in China because it could generate so much money because he had, there's not, I don't think there's any Chinese heavyweights. Uh, so I got Zhang Zhele uh, coming in at number nine. Number eight, Luis Ortiz, veteran in the game. He's 32 and 33 and two with 28 KOs. He's coming off that big win over Charles Martin that was on New Year's Day, which feels like it was like three years ago. Uh, he's at the point in his career, you know, the, the motor, the chin is gone, but he still has that enough power and boxing skill uh, to hold his own. He fights uh, Andy Ruiz, which is probably Luis Ortiz's last stand. But still think he's, he's powerful. Still think he's dangerous. Got him at number eight. Number seven, who's going to be who Luis Ortiz will be fighting on Labor Day weekend. That's Andy Ruiz, already in his 36th fight. Fastest hands in the heavyweight division. But the misnomer with Andy Ruiz, it's like, oh, he throws a lot of punches. He He's a guy that gets in there and just overwhelms you. Not the case. Throws the least, the second least amount of punches per round in the division at just 38 around. But he puts those punches together in like three or four punch outbursts where he's just so fast and he's over, able to overwhelm his opponents that way. Obviously, First Mexican-American to win a heavyweight title when he beat Anthony Joshua. When he After he beat Anthony Joshua, things went a little weird for, for Ruiz. Made a ton of money, overnight celebrity. You, you kind of get the feeling it's like how much – How what is he in this game for? You know, is he in the game for the love of boxing or is he in this game for, for money? That's fine. I mean, a lot of fighters are in this game for money. But you just don't know where Andy Ruiz's head is at. Uh, his body looks pretty good. Lost a lot of weight. You saw that in his last fight with Ariola. Hit the deck a bunch of times against Ariel. I think his punch resistance went out the window when he dropped the weight. His fights are fun, though. Generally fun, and you have to think that the PBC wants to position him uh, to fight Deontay Wilder next year. Obviously want to see Wilder fight Joshua. Andrew Ruiz, Deontay Wilder, is a big-time pay-per-view uh, next year. Number six, Joseph Parker, the consummate pro. Uh, damn good resume. Uh, this is a guy who has fought Anthony Joshua, Derek Chisora, Andy Ruiz, Dillian White, Carlos Takam. He's going to be fighting Joe Joyce uh, next month. Uh, he's reeled off six straight wins since those back-to-back -back losses to Joshua uh, in White. Actually leads all heavyweights in power connect rate, 44%. Does a lot of things good, not one thing great, Joseph Parker. He's, he you know, throws about 45 punches around right down the middle. Half jabs, half power shots. Got pretty good defense, can move in there. I like Joseph Parker. Solid, solid heavyweight number six. All right, we're getting into our top five. Number five, I like Joe Joyce. A lot of fight fans out there don't like Joe Joyce. I, I think he is an acquired taste. Uh, he's slow. 
He gets hit a lot. In fact, he gets hit more than he actually lands on his opponents. He lands 38% of his power shots, but opponents land 40% on him. That's fun. He's got one of the best chins in the sport. Uh, always finds a way to win. Uh, a guy that started this game at age 22, uh, who went pro at 31, won a bronze medal or a silver medal. He was a medalist in the 2016 uh, Olympics. A renaissance man, has a lot of different skills outside of the ring. Real interesting guy. Uh, our guest, Corey Urban, did a great story on him that you can catch over on, on Boxing Scene. But now, you know, he's a guy that I th- feel like is in the top five. A guy that I feel like has a has a big-time movement towards the, the top of the list. You know, 36 years old. And he's going to probably get his title shot soon. But he's got to beat Joseph Parker. And that would probably be the best win of Joyce's career. Unless you rate uh, Daniel Dubois pretty high. He was able to take out Dubois in just by a jab. I mean, a straight up. Fights like George Foreman, Joe Joyce. Uh, I like the guy. 14-0. 13 knockouts. Top Four, number four. This is when it gets dicey. Top four. I got Deontay Wilder coming in at number four. 42 and two, 41 knockouts. Obviously had the three fights with Fury, had the two fights with Luis Ortiz, won his world title in 2015 when he beat uh, Bermain Stavern. Had a lot of defenses. Ten defenses he had of that uh, heavyweight title. Uh, none really against the lead opponents. That's the knock with Deontay Wilder. Still think he's a damn good fighter. Has a really good jab percentage. Uh, has to find a way to land that right. And you can't just land that right by, by luck. You have to set it up. Uh, he has huge fights ahead of him if he wants to stay in the game. Obviously, he have to get through Robert Hillinus on October 15th. But after that, you know, you got fights with Andy Ruiz. He can uh, see how uh, Usyk comes out of this fight with Fury. He can fight Fury again, even though we don't want to see that. And then there's the fight with Joshua, which I think is a no-brainer. Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, there's still a window of hope for that fight. It's not a big window. It's still there. They have to make that fight in the next, I would say, year before fans just don't give a crap at all because there's still a lot of money for each guy, especially if Wilder knocks out Hellenius. And what we saw from Joshua and his performance uh, against Uzik, he's still a top three heavyweight because I have him at three. Anthony Joshua, 24 and three. It's crazy to see three losses next to Joshua's name. I thought he looked outstanding against Uzik, but he was in there with a generational great. Uh, you know, he can still jab. Uh, he's one of the only uh, fighters to land 29% or higher of his jab. He went to the body well. Uh, he's a top three heavyweight, in my opinion, Anthony Joshua. I didn't, don't think his stock went down that much against Usyk. Uh, but I do want to see Joshua in there with some of the bigger names. He's only 32 years old. got a boatload of money. We're talking 300, 400 million plus lifetime deal with the zone. What does that mean? If you have a lifetime deal with the zone, they're going to want you to fight. There's a lot of domestic fights he can have over in the UK. He can fight a Joe Joyce. He can fight, uh, you know, not in the UK, but he can go and fight uh, Zhile Song over in China, which would be a massive event for for the Chinese fight fans and also a fight that he could win. So we'll see what's next for Joshua. Uh, we'll see where he goes from here. Going to take some time off. I'm interested to see what he does. I want to see him fight again. I obviously want to see him fight Wilder. Number two, Alexander Usyk, uh, 20-0, 13 knockouts. What a run this guy is on going back to the cruiserweight division. Hunter, Michael Hunter, he beat Huck. He beat Breedis, he beat Gassiev, he beat Baloo, he beat Chisora, and he beat Joshua twice. He did all those fights on the road, he did all those fights outside of his home country in the Ukraine. He's one of the most, I would say, recognizable faces in boxing right now. He's a guy that has the ultimate respect of every fight fan. 
uh, for the way he goes in there and does it, uh, for the how he's done it, and beating Joshua twice, and uh, the run that he was on at cruiserweight. I got Usyk not only in my top three at heavyweight, but in my top three pound for pound list. Even though I don't do pound for pound list, number one, Tyson Fury. Obviously, he is uh, the best heavyweight in the world. He's undefeated. Has that one draw to Wilder, which I thought he won. Got big wins over Wilder. Uh, had that big win over Dillian White. Resume a little thin, though, for Tyson Fury. I'm basing him number one off of skill, off of the fact that I don't think anyone can beat him because he's six foot nine. Uh, he's about 280 pounds. He's developed punching power later in his career. He can box you if you have to box. He can outslug you, which we saw uh, in his fight. Uh, three fights, I should say, with Deontay Wilder. Uh, but all eyes now go on his fight with Alexander Usyk. I said it in a tweet, and I got a lot of grief for it. I said that if Tyson Fury wants to cement himself as the best heavyweight of this generation, he has to see Alexander Usyk. It's not saying that I don't think he's the best. Obviously, I have him number one. But if you want to cement it, if you want to leave no doubt, you want to say you've beat everyone, then you have to fight Usyk and you have to beat him, which I think he will. But Tyson Fury at number one. There it is, my top ten heavyweights. Frank Sanchez, Zhang Zelay, Luis Ortiz, Andy Ruiz, Joseph Parker, Joe Joyce, Deontay Wilder, Joshua Usyk, and Fury at number one. If you disagree, you agree, you can tweet me at Dan Canobio. With that being said, let's get to our guest this week, Mr. Corey Erdman. All right, let's bring in our guest this week here on Inside Boxing Live. This man called the heavyweight championship of the world. He is a good friend of mine. He's a good friend of boxing. He is Mr. Corey Erdman coming to us from beautiful Calgary. Because this man gets around. He's a traveling man. How are you, Corey? Not too bad. The home of Lance Storm, the home of Brett the Hitman Hard. And yes, I am on vacation. But Dan, uh, our friendship and the group chat it exists within does not take vacation. So I will always say yes to your requests. That's right. This fight game, there's no there's no vacations in this fight game. And that doesn't sleep, uh, as we know that. No offseason, which is all systems go. First of all, man, congratulations on that assignment. Um well received uh obviously we go back to the broadway boxing days uh on that circuit and to see you uh there not actually there but to see you calling this heavyweight championship fight alongside chris mannix and chris algeri was special for me i think a lot of fight fans uh, enjoyed it uh before we get into the fight just from a personal standpoint that must have been the pinnacle it must have been a such a great honor for you of course. Yeah. It's, it's what you, it's definitely what I dreamt of when I was younger. I think I posted on Twitter that, you know, when I was a kid, even like a young kid, I'm talking like, you know, four five, six, I was just enthralled by boxing history. And I would go to the library, the Kitchener public library and print out old newspaper clippings of old heavyweight title fights. And, you know, I would be in my basement, like imagining fights and as if I was the one calling them and, when you do that, it's the heavyweight championship of the world. So um, it's definitely something that you strive for. Uh, obviously, there's going to be the the next biggest fight every month. It's, it's going to keep turning over. But I'll always remember this one as, uh, you know, a, a landmark moment in my career. Not only that, it was you you earned it. You earned your, your paycheck that day because that was one of the longest shows I think we have ever seen. Like legendary Phil's there. Uh, it's different, though, when you're not on site. It's different when 
you know, I don't think the zone was take was taking it from another uh, production company. But man, that was a long one because I feel like for a while you were basically hosting a podcast. There was a lot of fill for you. That must have made uh, made it even a little more difficult. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, because you, you're not always entirely certain uh, kind of where you're going traffic wise on the air, right? Because you're sort of beholden to what's happening in the venue there. And of course, what's coming down uh, on the feed. So you kind of have to be hyper prepared for every possibility. And yeah, after six hours, you, your voice gets a little tired. I, I'm sure the the workers on my Air Canada flight on the way home were uh, a little annoyed with me asking for more chamomile tea over and over. But you got to you, <laughs> you got to keep the voice healthy. Love it. Oh, let's get into it. Uh, big fight. Obviously, Alexander Usyk wins again. I want to work backwards. I want to start with Joshua's post-fight. What are we even calling it at this point? Moment, um, you know, coming back into the ring. I think there's some other videos coming out, you know, taking the belts, tossing them down. You know, this isn't a rapid reaction because I had one of those on on Saturday when I didn't quite understand what it was. So we've had some days to kind of reflect. We've had some days to figure out what that was about. We'll start with Joshua and, and that rant. What did you make of it? And uh, Howard, how did you, you know, react to that? So at the time, as it was happening, I was kind of confused, but I was also sympathetic at the same time. And I was confused because there was a little bit of like an aggressive bend to it at times. But what he was saying wasn't actually aggressive towards Usyk. You know, he was kind of like confronting him and, you know, he had his index finger out and he was saying, how, how did you beat me? You know, I'm, I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. How did you beat me? But he was trying to be complimentary while at the same time trying to process one of the biggest disappointments in, in, in his life. Um, and so I, I, I saw a man, you know, kind of in crisis. Uh, and of course, what I was seeing at the time, I didn't see the shot of him throwing the belts out of the ring. We didn't really see that in, until afterwards. So we're, there were certain elements where had I had I seen that in the moment, maybe would I have reacted differently? I don't know. Um, I think that Joshua certainly knew and from what he saw or excuse me, what he said in the day after he acknowledged that he didn't handle that the best. But of course, it was it was a person in basically a mental health crisis at that time who was coming to grips with the fact that he is an elite fighter who felt that he had fought about as well as he possibly could was in the best condition he thought he could possibly be in. And it still wasn't enough. And that's a really hard thing to cope with. And I think it's a hard thing for a lot of fighters to cope with. And if every fighter had a live microphone in the middle of a ring after one of their fights, they might have reacted the same way. But there are mechanisms to prevent that. But Joshua ran back in the ring and demanded it. So we saw the unfiltered thoughts of Anthony Joshua that probably closely mirror what a lot of fighters feel when they lose uh, in a close fight like that. So I, I have sympathy for him. He didn't handle it the best, but he acknowledges that. So it's not something that I'm really dwelling upon, you know, days and days after. Right. Not it's not a huge thing. It was a little bizarre. It was definitely something yeah. that was not really seen too often. And something with Joshua, I mean, I have of this generation, I've a fighter that everyone is studying the guy's psyche. I I mean, we talk about Joshua more than we talk about Usyk leading up to this fight. How can we fix Anthony Joshua? It's like society has this fixation with fixing people like you know with their Mm. mentality or their a guy that looks the part in joshua a guy that so badly wants to be the the face of boxing and the face of the heavyweight division but obviously come up short 
two times to, uh, to Usyk. So afterwards, I, I I just thought the timing of it was was poor. Uh, I mean, the, the message, fine. I mean, that's that's fine. This is a guy that is such, has such a well-manicured image. And for years, it, it's like, you know, he has to say the right thing and he has to be the face of, of British boxing. He has to be the face of many different organizations and companies that he is the pitchman for. So he had his moment where he just wanted to let it all out. And that's fine. But the just the timing was just so poor on my part because I thought it took a little bit of the steam off of Usyk's moment, a guy that was fighting with so much passion and, and so much, you know, strength, obviously, with for what's going on in, in his country. But mm-hmm. it's something that obviously as time goes on, we're gonna just look back and say, Oh, it was just a moment. It's boxing. These things, these strange things happen. It's not unlike any other sport but it's something that was a big takeaway from this fight and that's something that's going to continue on is joshua's mindset what's next for joshua you know where does he go from here and i think it was a big part of the fight so we'll transition into since we're working backwards who six 10th through 12th rounds or something of a legend you know that ninth round with joshua he emptied the tank i feel like that was really it for him and to see Usyk bounce back to outland him 79 to 29 from rounds 10 through 12 shows you why that Usyk is is not just a great fighter. He is an exceptional pound-for-pound talent right now. Those 10 to t- through 12th rounds are something that's going to be remembered for a long time. I, I agree. You know, in the to paraphrase uh, Benny the Butcher, you, you know, he's he's not going to be a legend soon. He's a legend now. You know, this is this is a a Hall of Fame fighter the moment that he retires uh, the moment he's on the ballot he's a first ballot hall of famer his resume is on par with anyone in boxing right now and, and perhaps above everyone uh when you consider his run at cruiserweight and at heavyweight and now he has his kind of as you put it that legendary moment and i i hope that is it is considered that way even though it wasn't in the 12th and final round when it might have felt a little bit more dramatic in particular that 10th round that momentum shift is an all-time great momentum shift in heavyweight title prize fighting history because the way that Usyk looked in the ninth, even if you didn't think that he was going to get stopped in the in the ninth, he felt like he was rolling with some of those shots. He was in he was in trouble, and he was hurt by some of those shots. And in the back of my mind, I thought heading into the tenth round that there was a possibility that Joshua was going to pour it on a little bit more, and that maybe he was going to stop Usyk. That that was how I was feeling. And then to see Usyk come out and basically rip that away immediately. Fire, I think he, he threw like a five-punch combination the moment that bell rang and ripped it away and kept it going all through the 10th. Um, even though Joshua was valiant, valiant till the end and was still trying to, to stop Usyk to the body, even in the 12th, effectively, that fight ended right there. The possibility for Joshua to win that fight was taken away right there. And, and, and in fact, on the scorecards... Winning those final three rounds, when you go back and look at the scorecards, were probably that was crucial for for Usyk to win that round and then carry that momentum through the twelve. So yeah, absolutely legendary stuff from Usyk. Yeah, he threw forty-seven. Oh, excuse me, ninety-five punches in the tenth <laughs> round. Where, right. Uh, you know, obviously coming off of that ninth round where, where Joshua, where I believe it was Joshua's kind of his last stand in that fight, was able to hammer to the body. That was something we saw different in this fight. And I thought that was something that Chris, both Chris's, uh, illustrated very well was that Joshua was was committing to the body early on. He was lower in his stance. Uh, he was firing back combinations after Usyk would fire off combinations, something that he didn't do uh, in the first fight. So we'll go back to that ninth round from Joshua where... He just unloaded. Everything finally came together because I've been calling for 
more aggressive Anthony Joshua? Where did it go? Especially post Klitschko, where he became this jab-oriented fighter that was out there to to protect his chin and not really a come-forward guy. And you saw it a little bit in the, the middle rounds. And then that ninth round is where I was like, damn, this is the Anthony Joshua we've seen of, of the past, but even more refined, like starting his attack to the body, then coming over the top. And then there was a moment for sure where I thought, wow, this is it. Joshua was going to stop Alexander Usyk and he's going to have the ultimate redemption story. That ninth round was huge for Joshua. Yeah, it, it was massive. And, and you know, I, I want to be fair to uh, to Joshua as well, you know, because people, um, you know, some people kind of questioning, hey, why wasn't he even more aggressive? Why didn't he do what he did in the ninth round the entire time? The answer is because he's in front of Alexander Usyk. And in order for Joshua to go absolutely all in, aggression wise he had to hurt Usyk first and then he could do it because Usyk's a little bit too complicated you know it's not as simple as saying oh I'm bigger and stronger than you I'm just going to go out with 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 all out aggression you know you're going to get danced around or just run into counters as well that there still has to be some technique and some thought put into your aggression but yeah you're right like the ninth round is everything coming together he he manages to get to Usyk with one of those body shots and then he jumps on him which he didn't or wasn't able to do in the first fight where we saw him kind of sting Usyk more than once and then wasn't able to follow up or didn't try as fervently as maybe you wanted him to uh, to follow up in that first fight. It all comes together then in that ninth round. And I would also say, too, that the he came closest to stopping Usyk with body shots. Mm -hmm. So in the 12th round, I know there were some people that maybe wanted Usyk to go even wilder in, in that 12th round and, and throwing haymakers and whatnot. And I would say to them, I mean, you would probably know better than me. You would know better than me, Dan connect percentage wise on shots that Joshua threw towards the head was probably pretty low. And I, I I'm just taking a guess that it was oh, a well. single digits, you know? So if his best chance to stop Usyk, even in the 12th, in his mind probably was still to go to the body. So the, what we saw from Joshua in the 12th, still trying to dig to the body and do some of those things um, rather than just going, you know, all out and throwing haymakers to the head. You know what? Like I, I don't even disagree with that tactic, even in the 12th and final round, because it was the closest that he got in the ninth. Right. It was a system. It was a systematic breakdown because I thought Joshua fought so smart. I thought he fought a very good, fight i thought he had a very good game plan uh just look at the first four rounds i don't look the connects aren't everything but it was a close fight through four it was a 34 to 31 connect advantage for for Usyk. i thought Usyk looked obviously he got better as the fight went on but for those first five rounds i thought Usyk wasn't as sharp as he was in the first fight he wasn't landing his jab he was throwing the jab he wasn't landing his jab and he wasn't as as crisp and he wasn't finding joshua early on like he did in that first fight, but I thought Joshua stayed composed and you're right, Corey, like he could have went and been ultra aggressive and went for the head and just went all out. But there was a system that Robert Garcia instituted. It was to hammer the body first and then hopefully late he'll, he'll get more tired and tired. And then we go for uh, the knockout or, or we'll, we'll tally enough points uh, for a decision, but it just didn't come up. It just didn't happen. That's it. It didn't happen because Usyk didn't allow it to happen. Right, the 10th through 12th round, beautiful fight, just an outstanding fight. Uh, just I was left in awe because I thought it was such a great back and forth fight. It was fought at such a high level, but you know, Joshua came in with the right plan, the body work, the lower stance, the firing back, 
And I guess we can talk about where Joshua goes from here. Uh, we'll get to where Usyk goes because I think we know what, what the answer is there. But afterwards, you saw the emotion and you saw a guy that maybe I thought when I first saw that that outburst, I was like, man, is this a guy that's realizing that I may not get to the elite level again? Or if I do, it's not going to be looked at the same way as if I would have beat an Alexander Usyk. Where do you think Joshua goes? Do you think he gets back into the ring quickly? Do you think he takes some time off? It's, it could really go anywhere. It could because, you know, his options are endless because of how much money he brings to the table. He can fight anyone in the world that he wants to, right? If, if he says, I want to do that, uh, it can happen. And, you know, we're back at the at, in the position of kind of playing armchair psychologist when it comes to Anthony Joshua. Um, for me... I don't know if this is a, a guess or something that maybe I think is best for Joshua, but I think that maybe just stepping back for a little bit and appreciating the spoils of what he's made in boxing and maybe taking those first steps in that next chapter of his life with all the money that he's made, you know, being a humanitarian, you know, he's mentioned wanting to build schools. He's mentioned wanting to, to mentor uh, other pro athletes, both in boxing and, and in football and, and in soccer, starting that aspect of his life. And then maybe coming back to boxing where maybe he'll be less drained emotionally, having gone through what he went through, maybe he'll have recovered and maybe he'll find some, you know, appreciation from the fan base as well when he comes back and the attitude towards him will have changed with some distance and, and with some time having passed. Um, again, I, I that's somewhere between a guess in terms of what I think he'll do and what I think maybe he should do, uh, you know, watching how he handled that last loss. Maybe it's best for him to take a break. I don't know for how long, but maybe just step away for a little bit and then come back and assess your options. Yes, Corey, it's very interesting to see what Josh will do next. Selfishly, I want to see him in there. I think a lot of fight fans want to see him fight Deontay Wilder. They want to see him back in there. There's a lot of domestic clashes that he can have. But like we go back to as we started off talking about is Anthony Joshua's psyche. It's like, does he have to take time off? Does he want to get back into the ring to keep it going? Does he want to eventually be a three-time world champion? Does he want to take time off? It's it's all there for him, I think. Some time off obviously will be there. I don't think he'll come back before the end of the year. But if he decides to fight again, there are some big time fights still for him. He can still see how this shakes out between Fury and Usyk. He could take a domestic fight and then he could get back in there with Deontay Wilder. That fight to me, the Deontay Wilder fight, I still think there is a window for that fight. Where do you stand on that? Oh, it would be a massive fight. And again, like I want to see Anthony Joshua back in the ring soon, too, as a fan. It's just, you know, what I want for Anthony Joshua is whatever is is best for his psyche. You know, if if he feels like getting back in the in the gym immediately is best for him, then do that. If you think that taking time away and, and kind of putting your career in perspective and then coming back fresh is best, then do that. And, and yeah, I, mm -hmm. I also I don't want to fall into this trap. Um, that oftentimes we do in boxing, where if you don't beat the absolute best fighter in the sport, then nothing that you do is worth it. Because right. that's just that's just not true. You know, like I watch too much low level club boxing, uh, you know, to have that opinion. You know, like there are a lot of great fights at every single level in the sport. And Joshua versus Wilder is a very, very, very high level fight and a thrilling fight and one that would be a massive moneymaker as well. Um, it like. Is it as massive as it would have been, I don't know, six months ago or something? I mean, 
maybe not, but like how far off is it really? Like I, I would still love to see that fight. I'd love to see Joshua against uh, pretty much anybody. Joe Joyce. Was- Absolutely. If Joyce gets past Parker, but yeah, there, there's so many names for Joshua, only 32 years old. Um, we'll see what, what's next for him. I do think some time off will be the next thing. All right, let's get to what we really want to talk about. What fight fans want to see is the slow matriculation towards a four belt undisputed heavyweight champion, Alexander Usyk, Tyson Fury. As of we're recording this, Tyson Fury's last statement on this, and it's not going to be the last, but his most recent statement on this is that I will fight Alexander Usyk, but it's going to be for the most money possible. So if you think this fight's going to be in the U.S., absolutely not. Too many complications with Fury and everything there. If you think this fight is going to be in the U.K., probably not. We're headed back to the Middle East for this fight. It's going to be one of the biggest spectacles uh, in terms of two champions, two undefeated champions, uh, Batman versus the Joker. You can just go on and on with with the storylines here. Usyk versus Fury, in in your opinion, when does it happen and uh, how does it play out? Oh, gosh, I, I don't even want to take a guess on when it's going to happen, because, again, I mean, uh, Fury's uh, line as far as whether he's retired or not seems to oscillate day over day and how much money he wants um, is going to change day over day. And that's just that's the fun of Tyson Fury, I guess. Right. That's the he manages to keep himself in the news cycle incessantly. And frankly, that's also a part of the reason why he's going to be able to command so much money when this fight happens. So uh, there's that. I maybe like I would say next year if if I'm just flat out guessing. Um, but as, as far as the fight itself, like I I, I never want to pick against someone as talented as Usyk, but I I strain to find ways how Usyk could deal with someone that's this big. You know, Fury is is just the the size differential is so massive, and Fury doesn't have that kind of uh, that hesitation, or maybe it's it's better put the uh, he's not bound to boxing convention the way that Joshua is and is willing to just go out there and try and flat out bully Usyk. And I don't know if if Usyk, who, you know, while he has grown into a heavyweight frame now, is still not a full-blown heavyweight, how is he going to deal with a guy who's six foot nine and 300 pounds uh, and can do basically the things that Anthony Joshua can do? Uh, it's, it's hard for me to pick against Fury in that fight, but, I mean, do I ever want to see it? Uh, of course. It's a shame that it won't be in the UK. It's a shame that it won't be in vegas it's a shame that it won't have a little more of a livelier crowd but i i'm at the point where i just want to see the fights happen like obviously not ideal to have a fight in saudi arabia for a number of reasons i mean if you can go from the political side and you can go from just the sports watching side where that arena was loud but it wasn't as loud as it could have possibly been for in a real fight city uh in a real fight country I'm just at the point where I just want to see it. Like we need this heavyweight division to start moving. It has taken a long time to get to this unification bout or this undisputed bout. And there's a lot of guys waiting in the wings to, to get their uh, chance at, uh, you know, a Tyson Fury or their chance at undisputed, you know, guys like Joe Joyce, guys like uh, Joseph Parker want to get back in the mix to go even down lower guys like Jared Anderson are working their way up towards getting into the heavyweight picture. There's a lot of movement that needs to be done. So I, I'm of the belief that, we just need to see this happen. If it's if it's in Saudi Arabia again, if it's in the Middle East, so be it. As long as these two are in the ring and we're figuring out who was the very best at heavyweight. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, like, you know, that's one of the downsides if there is one to having, um, you know, the titles in one hand or, or, or two hands in, in this case uh, is that we are now kind of in, we're in a time period where, you know, fighters just fight less. And so they, they're not as willing to kind of fight one another on the way up. So you will have guys who are just kind of waiting until they can get that title opportunity um, and not fighting one another. So it does. And, and I don't blame them for doing that. Right. But it does kind of, as you said, kind of jam up the division a little bit as we're sort of waiting. And, you know, as opposed to number three and four, just facing one another, obviously they want to wait and see if they can get an opportunity at number one. So the more movement there is to kind of clear up that picture and, and keep this conveyor belt moving, obviously the better it is for the division. Yeah. I give Joe Joyce and Joe Parker, Joe Parker credit. They're yes. Together. They are two guys that are in the, in the top six. I'm going to do a top 10 uh, on this show. Like they're two guys that probably could have sat around away, especially Joe, uh, especially Joyce, you know, Parker has had his title shots. You know, he's had his day in the sun sort of, sort of say, but Joe Joyce is a guy that is in line, has been in line for a while. So I give him credit for, for fighting uh, uh, Joseph Parker uh, to a lesser degree. Andy Ruiz and Luis Ortiz were tangled. So these guys are fighting each other, but now we're going to see it move more. If Fury and Usyk can get in the ring within the next six months and we can figure out who, who wins that fight and, you know, who knows from there, will, will Fury retire? Probably. Uh, Usyk has talked about retirement too. He's talked about it after the fight. He goes, if I'm not fighting uh, Tyson Fury, then I'm not fighting at all. So the heavyweight division, obviously it, it makes boxing go and it's what everyone wants to discuss. Uh, there are some big names in the heavyweight division, but it, in, in a blink of an eye, this thing could change completely. We can have a whole, all the belts could, could go their separate ways, as we know with the sanctioning bodies and what happens when you become an undisputed champion. So uh, I would say if you're, you enjoy it now, <laughs> enjoy it now with yeah. the big names, because there's going to be a big time turnover in, this, in the heavyweight division. Yeah. And you know what? The other thing is we're seeing that kind of, you know, uh, that next generation, so to speak, you know, the last couple Olympic cycles, we had names like Hergovich and, and Yoka and, and Joyce and, um, you know, Zhang, if you're going back to like 2012 and, and, and 2008. And now we're kind of seeing that herd get thinned a little bit, right? There was all the speculation of who's going to come out of it. And even with that Hergovich and, and Zhang fight, now we have a clearer picture as to how much of a threat or not some of those guys are. And as you pointed out, uh, Joyce now has emerged kind of as maybe the leader of that pack, you would say, but it depends on what does he do against Parker, who's uh, had his time with one of the titles as well. So we're seeing that picture kind of clear up a, a little bit, um, even though, again, in this era, it's, it's a little harder to, to clear up that picture. It is slowly happening. Love it. Heavyweight division. Slowly but surely, we're getting an undisputed champion. Corey Urban was on the call with Chris Algieri and Chris Mannix. A wonderful job, Corey. I got through a coughing fit during this interview. We broke down some heavyweight boxing. We got it done. Go back to your vacation and hopefully see you soon. Hopefully we get some Broadway boxing. Are you going to be in Vegas for Triple G Canelo? I will be there. Will I see you? Yes, I'm there. Yes, yes. All right. Perfect. Well, we finally get to reunite. I think we're going to have a big time reunion. Uh, Alex Dombroff, uh, boxing attorney to the stars, uh, Justin Shackle. Uh, we're all going to be there. Las Vegas covering Triple G. Uh, can also, I'll see you there, bro. All right. I'll have the high news ready. <laughs> Love it. <laughs>